Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Brandon. Brandon, if you could tell me when and where you were born, and if you can describe to me what it was like, where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. All your Absolutely, Tim. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So my parents immigrated from Sri Lanka in the early 90s, which is a small country south of India. But I was born in 96, so in the mid-90s, in Montreal, Canada. That's where I was born and raised. And for those who don't know, Montreal is a city, Tim, where you need to know how to speak French. Except I didn't know the language. So my whole life, I actually studied in a French education system. And every time I presented, it was mostly to a language I didn't really know. So when I was six or seven years old, you would see me in front of a classroom and I'd go, uh, bonjour. And that was my, my life growing up as a kid. Another piece that was key is I have a crooked left arm. And the reason is because I had a surgery when I was younger. So I had a big cast on when I was in kindergarten and first grade. And it was hard for me to make friends. It was already hard because I didn't know the language. And then on top of that, I had to, I had to walk around like this, which is kind of weird. So that was, that was most of my childhood growing up. So with, with a cast on, I mean, you, obviously, bonjour, monsieur, savoir, avez-vous, um, <laughs> Ben, so you can sign my cast. Um, that, was, that could have been a way forward. <laughs> yeah, that definitely could have been one of the strategies. Obviously, now I'm a lot better at French, but but back yeah. then, I think the only reason I didn't get bullied as much, Tim, and I think I just got lucky, it's because I'm Canadian. You know, if I was born in the U.S., it probably would have been a different story. But I yeah. think because I was born in Canada, all the kids were really nice to me. Yeah. So you're born in the, the French side of Canada, then? That's correct. So how Canada works is there's one province where French is an official language. So provinces like state in the U.S. And then what happens is every other province in Canada, the official language is English, except for Quebec. So how Quebec works, where Montreal is is a city in, you you actually need to learn French or else you can't really get a great job out of of the city. I mean, I guess you can get by because, like, English is spoken in the rest of the country, and I guess the French speakers have to learn to speak English anyway. So that's correct. <laughs> but English is way easier than French, Tim. Like French is super, well, yeah. super hard. Yeah. yeah I mean, so that, so that's talk- why I'm glad I learned it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they talk backwards, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I my my French is pretty lousy at the best times, but I I used to do a really good trick. I used to I I did a bit of lorry driving for a time, and um, I used to go to uh, into France and and I used to go to this particular factory, and then I always saw saw this charge hand coming across the yard, and I was loaded for Norway, and I used to shout across the yard as loud as I could so everybody could hear. I shout Bonjour, Monsieur Savoy. And he's walking across the yard with his hands over his ears. And please, please, I speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Worked every time. 
That's hilarious. So, yeah. But, I mean, I, I learned to speak a little bit of French. So they, they sort of warmed you a little bit. So kindergarten again, you've got this, this big cast on. Um, how did you break your arm? Uh, what was what was the story behind that? Yeah, so the story, Tim, was I actually broke my arm at birth. So what happened was I was born upside down. So normally what happens, as per my knowledge, though I'm not a doctor, the best way to actually take the baby out is to cut the stomach open, but it risks the life of the mom. So instead, what they do is they use a vacuum to pull out, to pull you out. And it only happens like one in a thousand times where they make, where a mistake is made in that extraction process. And usually, you know, some people it's a lot worse, but me, I got really lucky. It was just my left arm that got dislocated upon arrival. So I've always been like this, except I only got, I only got operated in a serious way, probably when I was like three or four years old. Oh, right. I mean, dislocating shoulders is not a lot of fun at the best of times, having done it a couple of times myself. Um, yeah, it's, it's generally quite painful and, um, takes a bit of effort to knock it back in. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you, you didn't get the other kids to sign the cast or anything then to sort of make friends. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, one of those opens. So I guess that they took a little bit of pity on it. How, how quick, I mean, obviously being young, you'd have picked up speaking French fairly quickly. Yeah, great question. It was around grade two. So obviously, when you learn a language young, you can still figure it out relatively quickly. So I'd say, but but let, let me make sure the facts are clear, Tim. Even if I could speak fluently as of grade two, I was still failing in French practically most of my life. I was actually so bad at it that I had to be put in a, a special needs program for French. And I only learned it perfectly. I mean, perfectly is a strong word for French. Even native speakers don't know how to speak it well. But it was probably being by grade eight, I was I was pretty good. Like I knew how to write pretty well with very few mistakes. But in terms of speaking it fluently, probably grade two. Hmm. So then you started making friends, obviously, being able to communicate with them. You know what the secret was, Tim? The secret was there was a small community in the French school who spoke English, so that's who I made friends with. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your native language then? Yeah, so I'm fluent in English and French, and the third language that I'm fluent in is called Tamil, which is my mom's mother tongue in Sri Lanka, and it's also spoken yeah. in India and Singapore. Yeah. So so I guess at home you're speaking Tamil. You that's correct, with my mom specifically. English. English and French at school. <laughs> you got it. So actually, you know, I was speaking with my mom in English until I was maybe 10 years old because my mom never wanted me to get her accent in mm. her Indian accent, her Sri Lankan accent in her case. So what happened was I actually learned Tamil through watching movies. So I would watch all these Bollywood movies because I didn't because my mom was is not comfortable in English or French. So I gave it like a personal responsibility to figure out how to how to speak Tamil so I could talk to her in a language that she would perfectly understand. And that's how I learned Tamil later in life. So moving on then, your your experience in, in, in sort of kindergarten was fairly steep learning curve, I guess, trying to learn English and Tamil. Well, speaking Tamil, but um but picking up French along the way. 
Um, when did you move up to, what's, what's the next one up from kindergarten? Is it sort of a junior school? Elementary, yeah, we call it elementary. Elementary school. So by the time you got to elementary school, you were, you were obviously speaking fairly well. Uh, so I was fluent, but I was still really scared of speaking in front of a classroom because remember, like French is my second language, right? So, so I, as I'm giving these presentations, just in general, like I don't have all the words together, and I struggled with that until like the end of high school, probably until like grade twelve, which is a year before college started. So, so I actually never really got over it. The way I got over it was by switching to an English curriculum, because because how the education system works, Tim, in Montreal is if you're, you come from a family of immigrants, you actually have to go to a French school. You don't really have a choice, mm. which, is, which is a good thing for me because I learned the language, but only up until high school. So then after high school, you can go to college in English, and that's what I did. No. Ah. So that's how it works. So during your, um, your middle school days then, what, were, what was the, sort of the normal sort of curriculum that you did? So you obviously do French, you do English, I guess, and and then all sort of core studies that sort of English, and maths, and sciences, and etc. What other classes did you did you do that you really enjoyed? Oh, really enjoyed. Okay, that's that's definitely a different one. So what I didn't enjoy was sciences. I was really bad at sciences, and I don't know why I took physics and chemistry. I could have saved myself the trouble. That's one. The the other piece I would say was mathematics. I've always loved math, really good at it. That's why I actually wanted to be an accountant initially. A lot of people, when they're 12 years old, Tim, they want to be stand-up comedians or astronauts. Yeah, I wanted to be an accountant. It's just really bizarre, even if I didn't know what it was. Terrific. So, yeah, so that, did you ever that manage to be an accountant? I did, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll so I actually never changed. Go ahead. So we'll come on to that in a bit. So um, what was your absolute favorite class? Favorite class? You know, honestly, it was probably English because it was the only class I could talk my first language in. So, <laughs> And it was fun because I was like, oh, it could be me in this class. Every other class, I had to speak French. So mm. up until high school, I would say, except that my last high school teacher in English was so horrendous i won't say her name but terrible terrible experience <laughs> but every other every other year in english was was pretty fun wicked what was your worst subject what one did you didn't you just didn't want to get up in the morning and go to school for definitely french french i was <laughs> horrible at. that changed probably in the last year or two of french because i realized it was my last year ever i had to take this class so mm. I was really happy about it. But but in general, yeah, French, I was really bad at, Tim. Like every mm. other grade, I was decent at. You know, I get 90s in math, 70s, 80s in sciences. But French, oh my God, I'd be lucky if I was in the 50s. <laughs> I'd be lucky. I suppose all the local kids that leave you standing. You know, it's funny. Everyone, even the the native speakers, Tim, they sucked at French too. Like I was, they were just as bad as I was. <laughs> they were just a little, a little bit better. Brilliant. I don't know why they just don't drop the language. Altogether, <laughs> speak English. A bit lot, a lot simpler. Yeah, but that's that's me. I'm prejudiced. 
<laughs> yeah, and and side note, the reason why I'm 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 good at English is is not because of the education. It's because when I went to daycare when I was two years old, I went to daycare in English. That's how I picked up the language. But I actually never studied formally in English <laughs> until I went to college for it. All right. Well, let's move on from your middle school then to, uh, or your elementary school to, um, to your high school. What was that like? Yeah, high school, I would say I, I got a lot more serious. So up until that point, I wasn't taking my studies seriously. I wasn't taking anything seriously. But then at that point, my dad lost his job and things got really bad financially in our home. So I was like, I need to take my life seriously because if I don't figure this out, we're going to be in a really tough space. And the other piece that I realized when I was in high school, Tim, is I was maybe six or seven years away from the workplace. So if I just put in the time and I got it, the job done, I could provide for a family and, and figure it out how to get out of these, this tough spot. So I would say high school, I was a lot more serious. So most of my days back then, it's not really exciting, to be honest, besides me playing foosball all day with my friends. Besides <laughs> that, it was in video games. But besides those two things, I was just working studying studying really hard and that's how I, I finished high school with a pretty high academic standing so most of my time was just studying hmm. now did you do any arts did, did you do any theater studies or anything like that um i did something similar so i didn't really do arts because in how in how it works in high school in art education you have to pick so you can only do arts or music so i chose music and I did guitar for five years, though. I wasn't that great at it, to be honest. <laughs> and, and the other piece is, what else did I do? I did martial arts as well for, for five oh, years. I'm, I'm, a, slap, eh? yeah, I'm a brown belt in Kempo. All right. And is that a particular discipline in the, in the Jap slap sort of? Uh, sort of you got it. It's, it's like, like a, it's like a style. Yeah, mm. it's like a style of, of karate. Yeah. So is it, is it contact or is it um, just uh, movement? You got it. It was, it was contact. But it wasn't like hardcore. Like we weren't killing each other in, uh, in the dojo. <laughs> or else I would have survived long, to be honest. I mean, you can look at me. I'm not, I'm not the strongest guy out there. Like I would have been finished. So the focus was a lot more like on endurance and technique. So we would spar, but it wasn't – it was, it was mm. never intense. So it was more with yeah. like rubber gloves and it's like touch, but it's never it's never like you're trying to rip the other guy's head off. So it wasn't that crazy. Or else I would have ran away a long time ago. <laughs> so did you keep it up after school? Did I what after school? Did you keep it up? The jet flat? Oh, keep it up. Sorry. I heard creep. I didn't understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> keep it up. Yeah. So So what happened is I actually never really liked it too. I just did it to stay consistent. So I actually did keep it up for maybe five years. But then when I got to college, I actually stopped doing karate. So I did it for five years, probably from around 12, 13-ish to 17, mm. 18. All right. And what about your guitar? Guitar did, too. Did you, yeah, I gave up on it. Oh, you, you didn't have any great visions of becoming a, 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 a Hank Marvin or a um, – what's his name out of Queen? <laughs> I even know. No. I was like, I'm like the most boring, pragmatic, risk averse kid <laughs> you've probably had on your show. You're like, this guy is so boring. 
He's not he's not trying to be an astronaut or anything. And and I think the reason I mature I don't I'm not gonna say it's maturity because we should always dream and, and the stuff I do today has nothing to do with what I studied. So so I guess mm-hmm. I figured it out later in life. But I think what I would say to him is I think the reason I matured up so quickly was because my environment forced me to. You know, mm-hmm. literally I became the head of the house. Like when I was like fifteen. So so I just was like, okay. So I never thought of myself like a Jimi Hendrix. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play guitar and make money. As if, come on, get real, get a life, right? It's like, no, it's go be an accountant. That's the guaranteed path. And I was the first person in in my family ever in the history of my family to get an education, like to get an, a university degree. Mm. So my parents had a lot of of aspirations for me. It's like, no, get a safe job, and that's also what I wanted for myself because yeah. I didn't want to struggle as much as they did. So yeah, it wasn't that big of a dreamer. I only started doing that. The story gets interesting later, I promised him. Well, let's move on a little bit. <laughs> so you, you graduated high school with, with a, a fairly good uh, uh, all-round education. And did you go straight off to, to university or straight off to college? You got it. So so right after high school, the, how it works in Quebec is you got two years of college called CEGEP, which doesn't make any sense to anybody listening to this podcast. <laughs> and then after CEGEP, you do you go straight to university after that. And that's where the story really begins. Well, let's get into that story then. Let's, let's talk about your university days. It was, sure. I guess, I'm, I'm, now I'm just going to make a rough guess here. I guess it wasn't partying and drinking all night long. It wasn't. I would go to a lot of... <laughs> Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I would go to a lot of parties, though. I, I just wouldn't ever drink. I've actually never been drunk once in my life. I know that sounds oh. crazy. Yeah, never Maybe once. Maybe you experience it once. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> wake, up, wake, up, wake up on a hangover in the morning just to see what it feels like. Yeah, maybe. Maybe towards the end of my life I might uh, be. I'm, I'm pretty clean. So, yeah, so when I got to, when I got to university, Tim, you know, I had the aspiration to be an accountant. So I, so I got an accounting degree. I graduated in accounting, too, by the way. And then I, I realized that I wanted to obviously get a job at the end of this thing. So what, what people told me was, you got to go to these cocktails. So I put a suit on that I paid like 100 bucks for. It was like my prom suit, like oversized and a big tie. And I would go to these events to meet people older than me to give me advice. And they all said to do case competitions. And I was like, what's, what's that? What's a case comp? And that's what I learned later that it was like uh, it was like presentations professionally that you do to get a job. So that's how I started doing case competitions, and that was most of my university. Most of my university was hanging out with the other seventy-five people in that program, helping them how to speak, me learning speaking as well, so I could win these things and get a job. And after I graduated, and that was probably ninety percent of my life for the next three years after that. All right. So you spend a lot of time learning how to present, how to talk to people. Me, I've never never had a lesson in it in my life. <laughs> I just <laughs> I was, so I, I spent my time in the army shouting at people. <laughs> actually, actually, I didn't shout that often. So if I ended up having to shout at somebody, um, then I wasn't doing my job right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So. You got through college by going to, uh, in, a, in an ill-fitted suit, <laughs> around talking to people at parties to to find out how to to, to progress. So, 
Oh, you obviously graduated. What was your? How well did you graduate? I did not graduate as well as I as I did in high school. So so what had happened was to rewind the clock a little bit when when these students told me about case competitions. I saw that as my way out of poverty, right, Tim? So I started, I didn't really want to present so I could be a great speaker. I actually didn't care about that at all. I became a great speaker by accident, right? And how to communicate by accident. I was more out of necessity. And I'm really competitive. So I wanted to win these things. If I'm going to do them, I might as well win. So oh, I started yeah. doing these competitions, <laughs> right? Do, go to the parties, have all the fun. But, but then what happened was... I did it to get that job. But then when I got that job, which was after university, I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers for a few years. And then I started my career at IBM. I realized, you know, I, st- I was starting to make money, but I wasn't super happy. Like mm. I, was, I wasn't fulfilled. Like I, that was the dream, right? Since I was 12. Like yeah. How do I get that? Go ahead. I mean, let's face it. Money doesn't bring you happiness. Do you look at the richest people in the world? Most of them are miserable buggers. Um, you need enough money to get by with, and you can get by and, and have a great life. Um, you see people that, that have got millions in the bank and they work in 24 7, 365, and they're not happy. You see somebody that's just, just making ends meet, and they're happy as Larry. Take me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Just judging by your suits, boy. I think. I... <laughs> no, I was going to say, judging by your suits, you, you look, you look, you look like you do better than average. I'll put it that way. Oh, the Queen gave me those. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's all the old uniforms. <laughs> I love that. So come on in, Price Waterhouse. I... What were you doing there? Absolutely. So, so back then, Price Waterhouse, I was mostly doing accounting. So, so to your point, I got the job I wanted, and and then I started doing the job, and I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't be doing this with my life. <laughs> Did you use a calculator? <laughs> no, no. Technology has advanced a lot since since those <laughs> days, Tim. So I would I wouldn't use a calculator much. It was mostly Excel spreadsheets. That's what we worked in mostly. Hmm. So, how long did you do that for before you got really, really bored and started looking for something else? I did it for a year, so I didn't last very long. <laughs> so, so essentially, what happened was bored and fresh old I, Yeah, you got. It. <laughs> so I did the I did the the competitions, and then I realized a lot of my friends were getting jobs in consulting, and I said, "Oh, what's consulting?" And then I realized that uh, it's kind of like what I was doing in university, but as a full-time job. So I said, wow, like I want to do that. So I applied for companies like McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, IBM, and I got a job at IBM in their consulting division. And that's how I started my career. And then I started MasterTalk probably 30 days after that. Started? MasterTalk, what I do today. Oh, MasterTalk. Is, Is that like your own business then? You got it. So what happened, Tim, was when I was in my last semester of college slash university, I had trained 60 to 70 people how to speak, but it wasn't for money or anything. I was just helping them to win those case competitions, right? There wasn't a coach. So I just helped them. But my goal is to work at IBM, which I did for two and a half years before I quit to do what I do now full time, which is, you know, I'm a public speaking coach and I make YouTube videos on it. 
But in my last semester of college, somebody came up to me and said, how did you learn how to speak? And I was like, well, what do you mean? So, well, did you hire a coach? Did you do Toastmasters? It just happens. Yeah, it's like, it just happens. And then he just looked at me really funny. He's like, you didn't watch any YouTube videos or something? I said, YouTube videos on communication? Who would watch that? So I started watching them just to see what was out there. And Tim, let me tell you, I did not like what I saw. It's like all these videos were really bad. So that's what jump started the YouTube channel and it turned into what it is today. Uh-huh. So how long have you been doing it now? I've been coaching for seven, but I started the YouTube channel three and a half years ago, almost four now. How many subscribers do you get? What's supposed to uh, twenty? Do, do you look at your tw- count? Do you just I I do, but uh, but it's not it's not it's just a number, right? Like twenty eight, mm-hmm. twenty eight thousand probably. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm in competition with you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you win the competition, Tim. I, I got nothing against yeah, I you. I don't think so, somehow. <laughs> Not on YouTube, anyway. Yeah, it, it was a grind. It was it was really a grind. You know, side hustling it while I was mm. working at IBM. Because IBM was not easy. I was doing, like, what, 60-hour weeks. And then outside of that, I was making the YouTube videos on the weekends. And I was helping people on the weekends. And I did that for years until I was able to go full-time on this. Yeah. So. <clears throat> What's the process that you use to get people to, to to be comfortable speaking? For sure. So so the way that I think about it, Tim, is communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, right? So one of those balls could be body language. One of them is storytelling. One of them is eye contact. And the list goes on. So it can get really confusing for people. So for me, the question has always been, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? Because if you can juggle those, you can build momentum. So for me, mm-hmm. the first one is called the random word exercise. Pick a random word like trophy, like paper towel, like tissue box, and create random presentations out of thin air. And the reason this is effective is two reasons. One, helps you think on your feet. And two, if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could probably make sense out of anything. <laughs> Bit like what I do all the time then. <laughs> there you go. Generally, it's just nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk rubbish all day long. You're you're an experienced you're an experienced rubbish speaker, like a good good at speaking rubbish. Well, maybe one day somebody might pay me for it. There you go. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Actually, I maybe I could look at. Yes, I was a professional speaker. Well, the Queen paid me to do it anyway, standing up in front of a a, a room full of blokes and, and, and giving a lecture. So <laughs> That's awesome. What was Come it on? on? Um, military topics generally. Um, I used to um, talk to them about um, mental health issues. I used to talk about sexual um, <laughs> sexual health. Um, we used to, I mean, there was a married of subjects that we used to talk about um, from a welfare point of view. Um, mm. And so I was a welfare officer. Um, and prior to that, um, I was, we were teaching um, psychological operations. I spent 10 years in psychological operations. 
where we delivered uh, training for for people that were going out on operations, um, how to how to conduct a psychological campaign. So, and I spent a lot of time on operations, going around teaching um, interpreters how to be radio presenters, and guys how to be radio producers, so they were they could run a radio station effectively to put out messages and um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, so a little bit of experience. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Why well, used to? You don't want to present in front of the Queen anymore? That's cool. Well, she died the other, month, <laughs> the other month. Oh, it's true. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. But, yeah. but I mean, I, I have retired. I retired um, four and a half years ago, so. From being a, a regular soldier, and now look at me. I'm a, I'm a host on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now you're a big podcast host. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm doing all right at it at the moment. I'm enjoying myself, and I just love getting people's stories. That's awesome, man. Love that. So what's the second one, then? Absolutely. The ability to so talk the sec- rubbish is the first one. <laughs> sure. That's the first one. Second one is called the question drill. So we get asked questions all the time in our life, right? At school, on a podcast, at work. But most of us, Tim, are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive. So I'll give an example with me. A few years ago when I started guesting on podcasts, I was terrible. So bad at this. I remember some guy asked me, he was like, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know, man, Los Angeles, London, uh, New York. It's like, I don't know, you tell me. So instead, I became more proactive because obviously that wasn't the right answer. So every day for five minutes, I would just answer one question that I thought the world would ask me about my expertise. And I did that every single day. But if you do that for a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about your expertise, Tim. Wow. Can I ask myself questions? Yeah, I could probably ask myself questions. And there'll probably be a daft question with a daft answer. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if it helps, you, could get, you can get your audience to give you those questions. Like you can have them supply them in advance, so then you just have to answer them every day. So that's another way to do it as well. Yeah. So ask me a question. <laughs> ask you a question. Uh, so I already asked you one. So let me give you another one. What's What's your vision for your retirement? Oh, that's a good question. I like that question. Just carry on doing what I'm doing, actually. Um, and just grow my channel and to leave a legacy for future generations. Mm. That's why I do it. That's what drives me. Every day to get up and uh, and do a podcast and and interview somebody to leave their story as a legacy for future generations. And if I can do that, um, I should be happy. Mm. So let me ask you another. And I've also got a live stream. And the live stream's all about some taboos and um, destigmatizing mental health, suicide. And making uncomfortable um, topics comfortable to talk about in everyday conversation. Hmm. I love Does that, it? Tim. And the, 
And then my other question for you is, what did you what would what did you get right about retirement? What did you get wrong? So what was in line with what your expectations were of retirement? And what do you feel like you thought that was retirement, but it wasn't? I'd like to say I got my finances right. <laughs> they were okay until we saw <laughs> we're struggling. We just we were on the we're on the borderline. We were comfortable. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, it's it's I plan for the retirement and um, yeah, it's it's with the cost of living crisis, it's just a bit of a struggle. But other than that, um, I think I've got. I've got it right. Um, I certainly adjusted what I did when I first retired, and now I'm 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 doing exactly what I want and when I want. So, from that point of view, I've got it right. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. <clears throat> no problem at all. What's the third one then? The third one is make a list of the people that you love the most in your life and send them each a 20-second video message just telling them how much you appreciate having them in your life. That's it. The video message teaches us a really valuable lesson about what communication is for, Tim. A lot of people think communication is about, oh, yeah, this is a chore. I don't want to do it. But what video messages teaches us is that it helps us make people's days better, even if we're terrible communicators, even if it comes out wrong, even if there's mistakes in the video. They don't care. Because trust me, Tim, if we got a video yeah. message from an eight-year-old niece of ours who goes, oh, my God, it's so great to see you, Uncle Brendan. It doesn't matter what the video sounds like. You're going to jump up and down and say, this made my week. And that's really the goal. I'll start doing that. So do a quick short for somebody. That's it. Brilliant. So how can people um, get in touch with you? How can people get you to train them up to be better speakers, communicators. Absolutely, Tim. It's so great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one don't, is... Don't keep doing that. That's rude. Do this that. is rude? Yeah, yeah. This is rude? That's not rude. This is rude? rude. Yeah. Why is that? In the UK? <laughs> yeah. What does it's this mean? That. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> We don't mind. That's interesting. Okay, I learned something new. Anyways, yeah, I, two I, ways I to keep it. As well. <laughs> interesting. So, so the first way to keep in touch is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk, and you'll have access to all the videos on on speaking. I have like two hundred there that are available for free. And the second way is to attend my my Zoom workshop that I do on communication. That's also free. It's live and interactive, and all you have to do to register for the next one is go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Excellent. So we'll put all that in the description. And uh, yeah. So from from <laughs> from a non-communicator to a communicator. There you go. Terrific. So, Brendan, that's been fascinating. I hope it was. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I've enjoyed that little chat. Okay, good. That's good. Likewise, it was super fun. Thanks very much. Well, that's Brendan. <laughs>
What a great chat. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.